Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, where change agents in social sectors, business, community, and faith meet at the intersection of belonging, imagination, and gifts. What began as a friendship between Walter Brueggemann, Peter Block, and John McKnight has grown into a fellowship program where 30 fellowship participants from around the world meet for 12 weeks to realize their experiments of imagination. This season is focusing on the work of these fellows and the advisors in the program. I'm your guest host, Rabbi Miriam Cherlinchamp. I was interviewed a couple weeks ago and I thought, well, I could do it better and lead myself. I'm just totally joking. Troy's off on an amazing vacation with his wife, Kelly, and I have the honor of jumping in today. Today's episode is with Brad Wise and Sarah Buffy. Sarah Buffy is the founder of Soulbird Consulting. Soulbird understands that nothing has the power to heal like supportive relationships. So we help organizations and communities disrupt current models of thinking by building empathy and understanding around the effects of trauma and systems of oppression. Our basic premise is that healing happens in relationship. So working with people to build safe, healthy relationships is our main goal. Brad Wise is the executive director of Bespoken Live, which creates storytelling experiences that spark contagious hope and a tangible sense of belonging. Today we talk about abundance, trauma, and the need to care for one another and ourselves as we're doing this work. We'll jump in with Brad Wise telling a story from a Bespoken Live event. I'll tell this story because I think this is a pretty beautiful story and it involves Sarah. We, uh, in 2016, were having shows about every month and we, we pick a four-letter word as our theme. And that month, the uh, four-letter word was free and This show was on a Friday, and it was the week that Philandro Castile was shot, and then I think there was two, and Alton Sterling were both shot, and Sarah was going to get up and tell a free story, basically, um, about how great your family is, right, and how you're just free to be you, and you came to me and said, I I can't do that, like, this is a heavy week, we have to... Well, you tell this. You tell that part. I'll, I'll just not tell your story. Sure. Yeah. No. I. Um. Yeah. Brad's right. I just. I didn't feel comfortable coming in and um sharing how great my life was when there were some dealing with some actual um really heavy things going on in our society where where people are not free. Right. There's um huge disparities um around race and class and et cetera in, in our society. Um. So yeah, came to Brad and I said, Hey, I'm gonna take a risk here. Um. Can we can we do something differently? Um, can we do something different together? Um, not just tell stories. Yeah. So she had, she brought a gong, <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> and we split up, uh, paired up with strangers, someone that we didn't know. And she had us put, um, our hand on our chest and then you took your other hand and you put it on that other person's hand that was over their heart. And then you just had to stare in that stranger's eyes for a minute and you couldn't say anything. And she told us to just watch that person become human in front of you. And it was, and then, you know, eventually once it was done, which felt like 10 days, you know, <laughs> after that moment, she hit the gong and then, then we just talked about it of what that felt like. And she facilitated some conversation and it was, it was insanely powerful and it changed how I started to think about Bespoken. Um, it, it felt like we always then had to do that. We always had to do some sense of. We had to create some way that we were going to connect with each other and share our stories because that's what happened after you stare at someone uh, for that long. I forget what question you gave us, but th- you gave us a really great question. Maybe it was a Peter Blockish mm-hmm. question. I'm sure um, <laughs> that facilitated these just beautiful conversations and friendships were born. Like I, I heard after that that people were like you know texting and 
getting to know each other afterwards. But from that moment on, we always said, okay, we're not just going to come in and from a stage just have stories just come one direction. Uh, we're going to actually act out what we said all the time, which was we're all storytellers. And from then on, we started to do these you know, meditation-type experiences to get people to think about stories. Then we split them up into small groups, and then they would share, and then the, the, they'd pop up and share with a larger group. And there was just a lot of sharing. And that moment... I think made then everyone actual storytellers and that led to, you know, creating these story cards that people can use to tell stories. Like it started a chain reaction of more than just a few people from a stage being involved in these experiences. I love that story and I love the way you tell it and makes me think that one of your gifts, Brad, is that you have an eye for gifts and other people. That's one of your superpowers. I think that's one of the gifts of Bespoken Live is that, no matter what place you are in the space, there's something to receive and there's always something to offer. Mm. I think maybe that's what abundance is, to be in a place mm. where you have as much as everyone else and equally we build something together. I love that definition, that a, abundance is a, a place where you can both give and receive, and that certainly feels like, um, man, every conversation I've had with you guys, that happens every time. It ha it's happened every time we've gotten together in the common good as a large group or the smaller groups that there's a give, give and a take. Um, it's pretty powerful. And Peter does say that. He says, never seen a group unless you have either something to offer or something to receive. Mm. Does that happen in your work? Because I feel like it has to be exhausting to do what you do. Do mm. you feel like you receive much mm. when you go into a situation and you're trying to take care of caretakers that mm. are investing in these folks like do you receive mm. much in you your world that, yeah. yeah yeah um i actually just got off a call um for uh, some work i'm doing on thursday and hey how you doing how you doing great great you know whatever and uh this woman and her name's marie we got to chat and i said okay i'm gonna back up from our first question of how are you i'm not good i just came up from a really intense morning and i knew i knew i had to call you that was on my to-do list but i also knew you would it would give me energy. It's the same work that I'm doing, but um, there are certain folks that have a lot of abundance in their life to where they're full enough to receive the information I'm bringing because it really requires us to shift our way of being. It's not about fixing and changing a person who is receiving services. It's about fixing and changing our way of acting and being with other people. So when I'm working with teachers or um, physicians or foster parents, et cetera, and they, they go into self-reflection and say, oh, I think I've been contributing to some of the issues someone is having. They do that personal work. Um, that really gives me energy because now they're hooked. They're ready to go on this journey versus if groups are defensive or have their own complex trauma histories that um, put them in a position to not, not be as full to then take on uh, the internal work this is going to take. Um, so yeah, being with people who are ready to join the journey together feels like a give for me. Hmm. That journey idea, I just, I, cause I wanted to ask you to talk about soul bird and mm. the name and I hadn't thought about that bird and mm. you know, mm. the journey aspect tied into that name. So I've always been drawn to birds, just the, um, what they symbolize and how they, um, speak to freedom and not being, um, caged and trapped, but really being able to express your full self and, and live into that. 
um, as a possibility. Um, what I talk about with trauma is that that healing journey is a process, right? And it's also it's often a ten step forward, two steps back kind of process where we're continuing to be um, kind of on our our recovery journey. And when I think about birds and how they migrate, right, they don't just migrate from one place in, in the world to another and stay there. They come back and they make that journey over a lifetime. And I think that really uh, symbolizes that when I work with folks, I'm joining them on their journey to freedom, freedom from their past things that drive them unconsciously to do things that may or may not be safe for them or for other people. Um, and when we can join people on that journey through healing and know that we're going to be coming back to square one a lot, uh, we're not coming back alone. We're coming back together and healing happens in relationship. So, um, finding abundance in relationships and, and capacity for, um, the internal work, um, is a lot of what Solberg does. Hmm. That gave me chills. That was awesome. <laughs> that's good being with him on the journey like mm -hmm. yeah because we talked we got sarah and i hung out after the first large group gathering and shared some bourbon back in our garden and just kind of talked about where we were and um that idea of creating space that you can breathe joy back into mm. folks lives and put some wind underneath their wings you didn't say that. I just made that up on the spot, but it sounded... I'll take it, Brad. That's beautiful. Um, sounded a little song lyric-y. Yeah, a little... Maybe a little cheesy. Um, but I think you have that... That's one of your superpowers, mm -hmm. I think, is just like, man, just breathing life into people. How how powerful for the group of folks who are taking care of mm. uh, the earnings, as you called them, and maybe that's somebody you should talk more about, but that's gotta be a really, really, really hard job to be a caretaker mm -hmm. and that you're, that you have eyes to see those people is super cool mm -hmm. and that you're wanting to help them is awesome. Speaking of superpowers, Brad, I'm wondering if you would share a little about one of your superpowers, which is the ability to bring story into the picture to build belonging. I say a lot, like you can't argue with someone's story. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about, um, getting around folks who are, are different than us and hearing their stories, the idea is that once I connect with your story, then um, I might be able to see your perspective mm -hmm. and I might be able to believe something eventually that I didn't believe before. Or, um, I don't want to say that you would correct me, but you mm -hmm. might be able to change how I view, but it can't happen until that connection yes. happens through story. Yes. Um, I often talk about all the wisdom that you have to offer someone, just save it. Save it till you feel heard, right? Mm -hmm. Till you can you can be with someone in a way where they can have a felt sense of being heard and listened to, and then you can offer whatever you have, right? Yeah. So it could be a correction if we're talking about parenting or we're talking about educators, but if you want to even challenge someone's opinion to understand that oh they 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 are in their story, right? If we can meet people there, then we can offer our perspective. I love that yeah. uh, connection. The being heard thing is so huge. Mm. It reminds me of we were shooting a movie and there was a, one of the crew members. I won't name what position uh, he or she was, mm -hmm. um, but she was in a bad place and she was really mad at everybody. And um, I wanted to just correct her, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I had to connect with her first. And I had mm -hmm. to come in and just listen and just mm -hmm. hear it of everything that we've done wrong and just listen, 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 listen. Mm -hmm. And then once she felt heard, we could go to a place mm -hmm. of quote-unquote correction and that's that's where abundance shows up for me 
if people, I always talk about, if our buckets are empty, we have less creativity, Mm -hmm. less empathy, and less patience for anyone in our life, right? So when we can be full, when we have an abundance in our life to show up with folks and with full capacity, we have higher empathy, patience, and creativity. And that's what people need. They don't need another service plan. They don't need another behavior report. They don't need more service, paid services in their life. They need more creativity and abundance of relationship and passion and interest, right? And that's what I love what Bespoken does. Mm -hmm. It helps get out out of our routine questions around what do you do and you know how are you right these kind of rote things you really help give people a chance to get deeper and feel heard mm-hmm. and then go off into the world and you can you can let it be up to the universe then i've been having a few conversations with some of your cohort participants and they struggle to keep their buckets full i struggle to keep my bucket full how do you both of you come in with full buckets so I have, I have my own um, journey of, of <laughs> really leaning into self-care and making sure I am full for the folks that I'm supporting. Um, but what I what has really helped me is literally write down, right, what I can do in a moment to fill up, right? So that might be some deep breathing. That might be some stretching. It might be some meditating, right? Something I can do in the moment. What can I do if I have five minutes because I have a lot of five-minute increments of time throughout my day. Mm-hmm. And if I don't consciously know what I'm going to do with those five minutes, I'll scroll on my phone or I'll stare out a window or fantasize about the five o'clock beer I would like to have. you know. And so that doesn't really keep me full. It just keeps me distracted. So I have written down, what can I do in a moment? What can I do if I have five minutes? What can I do if I have an entire hour? And what if I had an entire day, how might I fill up my bucket? And having those things written and literally on a keychain on my person helps me come back to not only the self-care, but also recognizing the abundance of moments I have throughout a day. Because even a busy day, eight to eight, there are still moments or five-minute increments where I can stay full. So I would encourage folks to get really um, um, specific and get some things written down so they can visually see what do I need. It can reflect back to them what do they need to, to stay full. Um, for me, how do I fill my bucket? That's the question. Wine and um, the West Wing on Netflix at <laughs> night <laughs> would be my half-joking, mostly serious answer. Outside of that, it's I think it's conversations with um, fellow dreamers and people I really respect and talking about um, future ideas does a lot for me. And but that it has to be paired with, okay, we can't just sit and dream forever. Um, we got to experiment a little. So I think that sort of design thinking of where you come up with an idea and something you want to try and then prototyping it and then testing it uh, to see how it worked and then looking at what we learn from that and then doing it over and over again, that process. I think graphic design is my background, and so it's probably just a part of how I operate in the world is that sort of dreaming, testing, prototyping, you know, that that circle is constantly happening in my life and that I need those, like, quick revolutions of that to stay focused and energized and excited about things. If it's, that was the bad part about um, making movies is that they would take two years to do, you know, and it you never really see progress. You never get to just experiment and try and fail and learn and retry. So... I have a handful of folks in my life that um, I can have those conversations with. I'm looking at a few of them right now. 
listening to the two of you, I'm struck that some people do work in scarcity, just like sort of Egypt model. Some people do promised land, the prosperity model. And then some of us do journey-specific work. Mm. And the two of you do transition work in terms of the cusp, moving from one stage to the next, or tasting one side and then coming back and tasting and coming back, whether that's with story and having those moments or true uh, engagement of caregiving and those kinds of works. And I'm curious what, if any, there's a source story to what drove you to that kind of work. I don't know if I, I'd have to really think about what my source, I'd have to think about what my source story is. Well, how about you tell us the story of you leaving church? Yeah. So I was, uh, I left a, a pretty unbelievably great job at a church um, as the creative director there at the Vineyard and left in May of 2012 to go start a company thinking that we we're going to go do feature films just full time and realized pretty quickly that that's a lot harder than <laughs> we thought. Uh, so we had to pivot some and start helping companies tell their stories. And um, the reason that we did that is it just, it's what we were just, we couldn't help but do it. We couldn't help but make movies. We couldn't help but think about it. We couldn't, I couldn't help but write a screenplay in my off time like it just wasn't even a choice it just is what we did and it got to the point where I had I had to do one or the other right because I couldn't I wasn't giving my all to either and so we just decided to take a risk and go for it and and try and see what would happen so it's just it, it felt like that idea of telling stories in that way in that season um, everything was leading up to that moment. And I, if I didn't try, I wouldn't be living out my full self. What I love about the, even almost the struggle to answer the question is, because you, you keep pointing back to your body, I talk often that it's not what we think that drives our actions, it's how we feel. Hmm. We all know smoking is bad for us, but plenty of us who know that smoke right? It's not what we know which influences our actions. And so you're being driven on this body level. You have this urge and this passion to go get it. Um, and so to me, that's a very clear answer. I don't know. I just felt that I couldn't not. Yeah. Like that, that's what makes our actions um, so powerful, so that's, meaningful. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I get into trouble at work a lot because there's some just rational people who mm -hmm. they got to look at the numbers of you know, well, we shouldn't do this project mm -hmm. because it doesn't make sense. My brain doesn't, and I'm just like, I just feel it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just know it in my gut. We got to go for it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's the secret to good entrepreneurial work, that if you can do something else, please do it because mm. this sucks. <laughs> it's, like, it's really hard. It's hard to make your passion what you have to do for a living and to do it all of the time. Mm. I mean, I think it's even hard to do it on the side and make all those things work. And maybe that's the true test that it just keeps calling you back and you go, all right, I guess today's the day I'm going to answer it. I was super privileged to get a job at Starfire Council when I uh, came back from the Peace Corps. Um, I was in a pretty kind of rough spot. What, what am I doing? Why am I here? What's going on? And um, I went into that interview talking about how I just spent two years in a country where there's tons of folks and tons of resources, but they weren't connected. And it seemed like the same thing was going on in our communities around folks who have the label of developmental disability. 
There's plenty of people and there's plenty of things going on, but there's no conduit to those two things. And that's what I felt like I could offer, right? Um, if I'm meeting someone who has a d- developmental disability label, but they also love bike riding or uh, cooking or, um, you know, major league baseball, you know, just things they're passionate about, I can look into my own network and find other folks who don't share that label, but share the passion and I can start to connect people, do some of that relational work. That, um, my work there really set me up for when I first started to learn about complex childhood trauma. I realized that that was almost the other half of my brain, right? So doing the neighborly work, doing the relational work, the abundance work is great for folks who have a lot of social capital. Uh, folks with disabilities don't have specifically themselves a lot of social capital because of all the isolation that exists in our society. But if their families have more abundance, right, I found that, that community building work more accessible. Then I started working with folks who had a trauma label and a mental health label and a d- developmental disability. And they are stuck in this hamster wheel of scarcity. Mm-hmm. So I know that because healing happens in relationship and we heal and we start to get connected to other folks who share our passions. I knew that's where I had to go. But if I didn't understand trauma and how it affects us, I would be, um, you know, it's kind of square peg round hole. So once I had my uh, understanding around trauma and my understanding around community building, that was when I was able to, um, step into this work. in I think a pretty profound way and why I eventually, spun off and started my own consulting company because I was working at a mental health agency. And as, as much as leadership might want it to, um, not be Egypt, it's, it is, and it always will be right. There are limitations to services. And, um, I was compelled, you know, to step out of that and to bring in both parts of my brain, right community and abundance and possibility with understanding um, how trauma affects folks, pair those two together and really help organizations and communities get on their healing journey, not just stay stuck in the hamster wheel of Egypt. So um, the very first time I uh, met Sarah was we were at a TEDx event in Cincinnati when she was working for Starfire and they gave people like two minutes to get up and talk and she got up and grabbed the mic and she said, People with disabilities are fucked. And then she started saying why. And it's all the things she's talking about. But this, when she said that, I was just like, who is this woman? I got to talk to her because that was, it it was just electrifying. And I'll never forget getting together with you at um, Coffee Emporium. And you just, you were drawing that, like the drawing of communities and how isolated people with disabilities are because they're not connected to a community and like they can't get to certain places and they have, they get these services, but they're not in an actual community. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was a light bulb moment for me, which mm-hmm. I just feel like you're the, a Pied Piper of light bulb moments for <laughs> folks or something. Cause um, it was profound. And it's it just the original question or a while back of like, what gives you energy? It was that kind of energy because I know exactly where we were sitting for that conversation. I left that conversation saying, we got to get Brad in here, right? He's one of us because you got it. And I feel like that's, that is really rare when you find people that you can talk with big things like this about and they, there's no, you don't have to fill in too many gaps, right? You can just, there, we're on that same path together. Um, so for me, it was, it was a pivotal moment. And then I think we've just been connecting ever since where it's, 
it's it's been hard to I mean we both know that moment that TEDx thing and then the coffee emporium but from there it just kind of blossomed to oh we're in each other's tribes yeah you know yeah yeah and I think that hungry people find each other mm-hmm. and then we're like we never want to be hungry again so we're <laughs> gonna be together <laughs> well that's the magic of the common good to be honest I hadn't thought about that but mm-hmm. it's a, it's just a bunch of really freaking cool people who are getting together with big ideas and they want to help each other and they said they said at the very beginning it's not going to be about what Peter Walter and John mm. are saying it's going to be about you guys connecting I was like yeah right <laughs> like I'm I'm sure it will be but these three old dudes are pretty smart you know <laughs> like I'm pretty excited to learn more about them because I haven't read their books like most people in this room have but man it's been true yeah. of the relationships that are forming in um one thing I did ask John, which I don't know if he was able to answer clearly, but my question was, at what point were you John McKnight? Mm. Like, I feel like John McKnight, as a human, can walk into a lot of circles and where people know him, and he can just be who he is, which is absolutely transformational. But there was a point where he's Mr. McKnight coming into a room, or he's John, and people don't know him, did he where did where did he have to kind of play the game and then he could ease out into who like what the mark that he's left on the world and what I think I got from him you just you be these things right if you just are your learning right and you walk in confidence and understanding of the things that we know to be true that giftedness matters right that relationship matters that abundance even if we can't point to it in the room knowing that within ourselves that will spill out into the room right if we just are these things people and communities and organizations they will shift along with us we don't have to be that sage on a stage or that that person that everyone um has read about before we can actually make change mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I think peter does that too like mm-hmm. what moment peter did you not have to care mm. Right, like he stops having to like worry about what he was risking, and I see his advice all the time. He's like, "Fuck it, just do whatever you want." And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Peter, people got to feed themselves with mortgages," and mm-hmm. and he doesn't give advice in that way. Mm-hmm. His advice is given like two decades beyond where you are. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know about you, but I'm always like, <laughs> like yeah. catch up to that advice because I want to be what Peter thinks that I am all mm. the time. Um, and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what I think I am. So I don't mm-hmm. well, remember what I texted. Did I text you the first time I ever met Peter? Uh-huh. I, well, yeah, go on. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> I said, because I, I knew he talked about you. And Miriam, you set up a coffee meeting. I texted Sarah. I was like, I just hung out with Peter Block. It felt like I was breakdancing with uh, Michael Jackson and Jesus. <laughs> I find myself constantly leaning in, which is partially mm. because he's a low talker, but also because he's just <laughs> all three of those guys. They're mm. just so wise. They're just smart because they're old. Right, like it, that comes with being, and and they Cause they've they're old. Well, just because you're old. Yes, I was, and that's how I was going to stay. They've remained curious mm-hmm. and collaborative mm-hmm. this whole time. They yeah. keep they keep having these conversations about the future together, yeah. even at age eighty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to be when I'm eighty. I want to be talking about the future. This has been the Common Good Podcast, conversations at the intersection of place, belonging, and remembering. You can learn more about the work of Peter, John, and Walter, as well as the Common Good Fellowship and daily food for thought emails at commongood.cc. 
Common Good is a collaborative production of The Hive, a center for contemplation, art and action, and Common Change, eliminating personal economic isolation. You can rate and review us on iTunes and be sure to mark that this episode was amazing because of the incredible guest host. We're produced by the brilliant Joey Taylor. Music is written and produced by Jeff Gorman. And if you ever have to figure out how to define abundance... It felt like I was breakdancing with uh, Michael Jackson and Jesus. (laughs) 